Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and it's Deb Wolf. Good morning, everybody. I'm here with Dr. Jory. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jory. Good morning. That's Dr. Jory Bachnick calling in from Toronto, just north of Toronto. And uh, we're going to ask him about an email I had sent in. Okay, so this lady sends in. She said that her dog keeps having eye infections, eye issues, runny eyes. And she's been to her vet over and over again, and she wasn't getting much much satisfaction there. So she went to a different vet who told her her dog has inverted eyelashes and needs surgery. And she's asking me, is this even possible? Is this a thing? And why wouldn't my first vet catch it? And if it is a thing, should I do it? It is a thing. I can tell you it's a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) So their eyelashes, it'd be interesting to know what kind of breed she has, but certain breeds are prone to eyelash problems. And some of them- Which ones? Which ones? Boxers, Bulldogs, Cocker Spaniels, Labradors, Poodles. And the eyelash problems take different sort of features. One is you'll get an eyelash- And I think this is what she means by inverted. Instead of the eyelash kind of curling away from the cornea, from the eye, it curls down towards it. So so now it's resting on the eye. So every time you blink, it rubs your cornea, causing irritation, scratching, and whatnot. And then there are these other eyelash problems where you get eyelashes growing in weird places. So sometimes they grow. If you lift the lid and curl it over, you'll see a funky lash growing from somewhere halfway up the eyelid on the underside. All these different kinds of lashes need to be removed if they're causing damage to the cornea. Now, sometimes they're hard to see, though. So if you've got, imagine, a Boston Terrier, and it's eight months old, they never stop moving. And try to get a good look at its eyelash lid under magnification while its body is moving at a million miles an hour. It's vibrating, and it's trying to lick your eye. It's very, very difficult to see. And so in fairness to the first vet, It just may not have even been possible. Sometimes to actually really get a good look at some of these dogs' eyes, I have to sedate them. Mm -hmm. Also need good magnification and good lighting to be able to see this all at the same time. And sometimes they're not pigmented lashes and they're really tiny. And so in the early stages, it's like maybe two or three millimeters protruding above the skin surface. It's impossible to see because a little bit of mucus on your cornea and now it's gone. You can't see it because it's hiding it. So they can be hard to see. As far as treatment goes, the only way to get rid of them permanently is with surgery. The problem in a lot of these dogs, others grow back. And so I'll have the occasional dog that'll have one or two. I tend to use a carbon dioxide laser to remove these. The two most common ways are electrolysis. They'll use a little electrical metal, metal filament. They'll go in and zap it with electrolysis. I like CO2 laser a little bit better. They use some people will still use cryo, which is with extreme cold to kill those hair follicles. I tend not to like it because afterwards there's a fair bit of swelling and whatnot. But even if you get rid of them, the problem with a lot of them is they come back. And many of these dogs will need repeat treatments over the course of their lifetime. And it's just the way that they're made. I had a dog years ago, a guest here, who had something similar. The eyelids were kind of swollen and turned down and inward. 
and they had a surgery almost what like what some humans get cosmetically where they cut back some of the eyelid so the eyelashes stood in the right position rather than tucked under scraping against the eye the eyelashes then stood upright but they didn't have to remove the eyelashes they just sort of altered the eyelid is this something you've seen before this is a very common eyelid condition called entropion. It's where, for whatever reason, there's these muscles in the eyelid that allows your eyelid to move and whatnot. And sometimes they'll spasm and they curl the eyelid in. And one of the ways that'll happen is if you get an infection, your eye hurts, your muscle spasms, and it'll curl that eyelid in, or they're born that way and the eyelids are curled in. So when the eyelid rolls in, the facial hair is now rubbing on their cornea. And yeah, so what we'll do is we'll do, there's a couple of different surgeries. It depends on the, how profound the roll is. In some of the breeds like Mastiffs, they have all this extra skin. So sometimes the eyelids are too long and they roll in. In some of the smaller pug face breeds, you've got these big facial rolls where the facial fold is actually touching the eye. And then you talk to the owners about removing like that. Facial yeah. You, you talk about removing these facial folds and they're aghast because that's what the look that they wanted. I'm like, yeah, but that big caterpillar on your dog's nose is chronically scratching his eye. I mean, you've got to take it off. So you kind of categorize these in eyelash, primary eyelash abnormalities versus eyelid abnormalities that put the eyelashes in contact with the cornea or facial hair. So sometimes you have puppies born with that problem. And what we'll do because they're, they're growing so quickly, I'll do what's called a temporary tacking procedure where I'll use actually surgical staples right. to tack the eyelid out. And then after two days, they don't need a cone or anything. Most puppies will leave them. And as their head grows and you've pulled the eyelid out, it'll retain a more normal position. And a fair number of these dogs don't need surgery. You want to wait until they're at least six or eight months old. This eyelid abnormality thing. So it's not the same as the one that's with the eyelashes where it's constantly likely Correct. to recur. Okay. And also... Is, is this something that, like if a dog gets, it sounds to me like you would need to know the cause. If a dog got an infection that caused this, it's probably not a hereditary thing it's going to pass on. But if the dog was born with it, then it might be. Correct. You know, when you're, our mothers used to say, if you make that face, your face is going to freeze <laughs> in that position. Yeah. Well, that actually happens with eyelids. And if your eye is really painful and it spasms in and you don't resolve it, then that spasm can scar and stay that way. So it's an acquired wow. thing. Okay. So... A dog with this problem could have it corrected and still be a breeding dog or yes. no, probably not. Oh, yeah. Um, it depends on its age. Like if it was mm -hmm. perfectly normal, two, three years old, never had an issue, got an eye infection and developed entropion. Personally, that's in my opinion is an acquired thing, not congenital and could breed. Oh, interesting. Okay. I guess we should go to a break because that's a nice place to break and we'll come back and talk some more. I've got, um, well, lots of people asking because it's all over the place we're going to come back and answer this after break but people really don't know when to neuter or spay their animals anymore because the opinions of their vets are everything from six months to two years okay we'll be back with that on animal party pet life radio stay tuned how many of you have pets my hands raised now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life and that pet is lucky to have you too but unfortunately there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own however bobs from sketchers is trying to change that so we developed bobs for dogs and cats to help pets in need with every purchase of adorable bobs footwear or fun stylish apparel or even the cutest bobs pet accessories sketchers makes a donation to petco love to help help save shelter pets. And with your 
your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select Petco locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. I have noticed this, Dr. Jory. I have noticed that people are not, they're calling me at 14 months to say that their intact male is starting to mark things and what should they do? And I'm saying, well, you signed an agreement with me that you would neuter it before it was a year. Why is it not neutered? Oh, our vet said we should wait till he's two. What? Wait till he's two? Do you realize how many behavior problems you're going to have? Oh, so what's going on here, Dr. Jory? A study was done out of the University of California, Davis, a few years ago, looking at the increased incidence of certain kinds of cancers in large breed dogs who were neutered at young ages. And they found that when they were neutered at these young ages, there was an increased incidence of these cancers. But what the study doesn't show is that the kinds of cancers they're talking about are exceedingly rare. And so if you got a two or three times increase in the incidence of those cancers that occurred only 0.01% of the time, now you're getting a 0.08% of the time. So yes, it's a significant percentage increase, but in reality, it's not what I would consider a real world increase. Now, let's sort of put this into real world terms about risks and benefits. So if the study was talking about large breed male dogs, in my opinion, every other group, females, large, small, or other, should all be spayed, in my opinion, before their first heat. We know that to do that, if we do that around six months of age, we'll be pretty good. Now, larger giant breed dogs may come into heat a little bit later. So seven or eight months, completely fine. The purpose of it is to reduce the risk of breast cancer. If we spay them before their first heat, you reduce the risk of breast cancer by almost 100%. By the, after their first heat, by around 70-ish percent. After their second heat, about now you're down to 60%. So the reduction of risk goes down dramatically the more heats they have. Plus, they're now at risk of all the things that coming into heat cause. First and foremost, pregnancy, because they're pretty darn good at finding a boyfriend when they're in heat. Oh, how about a coyote boyfriend? How about one of those? (laughs) You know, (laughs) so you want to prevent pregnancy. You want to prevent- A coyote boyfriend with heartworm. That's up the ante. A coyote boyfriend with heartworm who lives on the other side of the highway. Yeah, that's what she's going for. That's what you want. (laughs) But you also reduce the risks of uterine infections and vaginal infections and all kinds of problems. Now, having said that, there are times where I do want my females to have their first heat. And these are for medical conditions. So sometimes female dogs are born with their vulva being involuted or tucked in. And this predisposes them to uterine infections, bladder infections, and vaginal infections. Because when they're peeing and their vagina is tucked in, when there's lots of pressure, everything comes out really nicely. But as the pressure declines, it pulls in and urine gets retained. And sometimes after they have a heat, the conformation of their vulva changes and it becomes more out. 
And so that's one of the times I'll let them have a heat because it will prevent, it can sort of improve that. And some of these dogs may no longer require surgery to fix it. Another time I like them to have a heat is for some of these female puppies who get what's called chronic vaginitis. And that's chronic discharge from their vulvas and it's it's kind of gross and it's always there. And some of them have it so profuse. Every time they sit down and get up, they leave a little stain. And we used to think this was a chronic infection, but we know it is not. It's due to lack of development of the lining of that area so that the cells are not producing their normal secretions. Well, the beautiful thing about having a heat, it's is a natural way for the body to shed all those cells, produce a new crop, and now they're healthy. And in those dogs, having that heat cures the problem most of the time with no intervention whatsoever. It doesn't mean you have to put up with it until their first heat, but it's a good solution that doesn't require you to treat them for the rest of their lives with treatments and medications, which I think are unnecessary. So females all should be spayed, in my opinion, before their first heat, unless there's a medical reason why they shouldn't. Males, medium and small dogs, in my opinion, should also be spayed around the same time six to eight months, so that they're not developing all the behaviors that you've seen. Question comes with large and giant breed dogs. So if you want to have no risk or or reduce the risk of the increase of these kinds of tumors, you can wait. But you should do that with the caveat of keeping an eye on the behaviors of your dog. Because if they start to develop these unwanted behaviors, trying to unlearn them is much harder than trying to prevent them. As I'm sure as a trainer, you already know. And so for me, it really boils down to, again, risk versus benefit. If I have a giant breed dog who's not going to be sexually mature until he's a year or older, then there's where's the harm in waiting? Provided the owner is cognizant that if they start all of a sudden walking around the house going, this is mine and this is mine and this is mine, it's you better get on neutering it because they may forever after keep doing that. And so I will put off neutering my large and giant breed dogs if owners wish, no problem. By giving them enough information so that they can make that informed decision, putting it off a little bit longer, and then neutering them when they start to see these adult behaviors start to develop. But that one study has created this enormous amount of controversy, and I think created a lot more problems from a behavioral aspect than we would have seen if they got them done at a younger age. Does that help? Yeah. Oh, I find it frustrating because like in one particular case, I've got this lady who's wonderful. She bought a golden doodle from me last year and she's a teacher and she's bringing the dog to the classroom. The dog's being trained, fully trained and and certified as a, a classroom assistant dog for kids with anxiety. But because her vet is recommending she neuter late... I'm having to help her with problems that she's not going to have once he's neutered. They're going to disappear completely. And it's just such a waste of all this effort. And, and, you know, because she's already working so hard to train this dog and it just seems so pointless to wait, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's got some, like we have to watch, you know, she has to watch that there's no other intact males at any park she goes to because they might pick on him and different issues like this, that just really complicate life for her right now, you know, And, and there's no, re- there's no reason for it, but, but the vet said, so I can't overrule the vet. So hopefully she- a second opinion is always good. Get her to hear the show and then maybe she'll neuter the dog. It's not that we can't, I want people understanding who are listening. It's not that I can't train an intact dog. I have three intact dogs together often, a father, son, and nephew, and they're not at each other's throats and they're not beating each other up. I would not put them together with a female in heat nearby though, because then they would attack each other. So some of this is knowing what you've got and knowing what it's about. But my males are trained and they listen, they come when called and uh, they know to be nice to other dogs and they don't pick fights. 
But if I take any of my intact males to a dog park, they're at risk of being attacked. And I know that. They're at risk of being attacked by other dogs who are intact, but also other dogs who just want to prove something. So you kind of have a different life when you have an intact male dog. It's, it's not the same. And if ever any of them smells a female in heat, no matter where I am, no matter how remote control trained these dogs are, because it looks like they're trained by psychic ability. I, I just think I want to go and they start walking. I just think I want to stop and they sit down. They're that trained. But if they smell a female in heat, that's it. They also know that that's their number one goal in life is to impregnate female dogs. And they've been doing that as a job also, but that's what they think their purpose is. That's their number one thing. So if they smell that, they don't care if they're cars or people, what's in the way, what rival male might kill them. They don't care. They're just going to go for it. And so you have to know that at any moment, your dog could become completely brainless and all legs and take off on you. So it's, it's really, you know, not for everybody. You don't necessarily want an intact male. And the same is true for the females. When they come into season, they can be amazing escape artists. A dog who never escaped in her life will all of a sudden become the master at getting out, right? 100%. And, and they will make really bad choices. Yes, they do. They will not choose the well-bred, exactly the one you would want from next door with all his papers and vaccines. No, they'll choose some mutt or worse, Coyote Cross from the other side with all kinds of illnesses. And it'll be the toughest, strongest dog that they can find. So they will have the biggest, toughest, ugliest puppies you can imagine. <laughs> so just be aware of that. One of my favorite mistaken breedings is a Shepherd Shih Tzu Cross. Oh, no. So it ultimately became a 55-pound Shih Tzu. Shih Tzu body, Shepherd fur. He was a mess to look at, but he turned out to be a rather interesting dog with a bad attitude. But these are the kind of things that happen, and they are avoidable. And again, it comes to prevention. Why are we wanting to do this? Because we want to avoid problems. We're not doing it because of uh, pride or any other reason other than it's a way to have a happier, healthy pet relationship with a happier, well-adjusted pet. And that's why we want to do it. If you have an intact dog and you don't breed it, you're making it suffer. I mean, it always wants a partner. It always wants to reproduce and make puppies. It's always got the urge and it's got no outlet. So that's not very nice. It's Correct. really quite unkind to the male dog. And then he's got all these issues everywhere he goes. Nobody likes him. That's not good. So it's not really fair. But I want to talk about that, that mixed breeding thing. There used to be a breeder around here who intentionally bred Alaskan Malamutes, so the big sled dogs, with corgis. Yeah, that's what she did. And they would often have knee issues, joint issues. Like I think sometimes these mixes are... You know, there's a good reason to have similarly built dogs breed. You would As think so, yes. Oh. And especially the female carrying these giants. It's just... Just because you can doesn't mean we should. Right. I mean, in that case, they had the Malamute was the, was the mom and the Papa was the Corgi. But I've had Corgis in my care who have back injuries from trying to mate two tall dogs. There's some issues here. I don't know. I don't know if that's the great mix, a corgi and a malamute. I think that would make, keep you earning quite some money. There'd it be keeps a lot me busy. Yeah, it's unnecessary. It keeps me busy. <laughs> that's not the kind of work we want to be doing. No, sometimes things just aren't meant to be. Okay, so we're going to go to break and come back. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. 
Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Yes, yeah, some things aren't meant to be. Some things aren't meant to be, but some things are meant to be. And Dr. Jory on our Animal Party Pet Life Radio is meant to be. So I have a question for you. I had a strange call from a veterinarian. Would I be willing to speak with one of his customers? And sure, okay. Then the customer calls. The customer has a one-day-old puppy, a bunch of puppies, but four of them aren't nursing properly and wants to bring me one or two and have me teach her how to bottle feed them. And I said, well, didn't, you know, didn't your vet teach you? Oh, yes, he taught us, but it's not going very well and it's not working and he couldn't seem to help us any further. So, okay, sure, come on out. So they come out and come out with these puppies, adorable puppies. I might post a picture later of this one day old puppy. Again, you got to question the breeding though. They're breeding Bernadoodles. Okay, they are St. Bernard crossed with Poodle. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that mm-hmm. either. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like I'm thinking that's not the same confirmation. We're not taking two retriever bodies. What's going on here? But anyway, okay. So I want to help them. I don't want dead puppies. You know, they're not able to get them bottle fed. The mom was nursing, but only had enough milk, at least in the beginning for half the litter. So they come over and they've got the formula the vet sold them and they got the bottles the vet sold them, but no technique. Like he, he didn't seem to be able to show them how. And then it was real obvious to me right away that the bottle was too big. The nipple was too big. We were going to need syringes, right? And so, you know, we got it going in no time, no time, two minutes maybe. And the puppies were drinking and fed and happy. And and I made sure both the ladies could do it. And we were good. Why is this not taught at vet school? Well, it's been a while since I've been in vet school. But when (laughs) I was at least going through vet school, there was not a lot taught around that area. But I mean, it also comes down to, these people were so grossly unprepared for what could occur. So they, they have this idea, well, here's a good idea. We'll breed these dogs, but they've done no research on how to do it, what to do, what to have afterwards, what could happen. And one of the things we've discovered, at least now during COVID, we personally, we couldn't help them at all because we can't be in contact with them. Because unfortunately now with our public health rules, if someone comes into the clinic and there was a COVID exposure, the clinic has to close for two weeks. And so until public health rules change, no one's getting into the clinic. Oh, ours are very different. We, um, our vets, depends on the vet, but my vet personally, one customer in at a time, everybody's masked. Some of them are masked and visored, some of the staff. And uh, yeah, that's how he's doing it. There's another one that greets you outside under like an awning, masked and visored, takes the animal in. Yeah. 
but yeah, I would say in, there are lots of areas in vet medicine where, where there's just not a lot done. And if things haven't changed, then I would say with how to raise babies, I would say next to none. I would say most of my colleagues have very little knowledge about it. I mean, considering how many puppies you go through in a year, you probably know more about in your little finger than I have in my entire body when it comes to how to manage a puppy that's not nursing well. I have a bunch of staff who love doing that and that's their thing. And so whenever we have to puppies that are poor doers, I mm-hmm. put them over to them and they have like 20 different ways of how to give a puppy a feeding, whether it's a syringe, whether it's a bottle, whether it's a Ziploc bag, where you take a little hole out of it, <laughs> yeah. or a glove or this. I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've, you've, these are all things that you already know, yeah. but it's only through doing lots of it that I think you actually get good at it. Well, we don't see a lot of those puppies. We don't raise those dogs. We're really good at helping the mom give birth. And we might be pretty good at managing a sick puppy who needs X or Y. But when it comes to husbandry, it's all you. So I'd be sending them to you too. Yeah. It really seemed a gap though, because I think of like when you do a C-section, so you do a C-section, you save the puppies, but have you saved them if they can't nurse and the mom isn't able to nurse them and no one instructs? I mean, most of the time, the for, you- well, for me, people who are really thinking about getting into breeding, I always tell them, find yourself a mentor. You have to find a mentor and you have to have been through a few births before you go off on your own on that journey. Because imagine all the little tricks and things that you do most of the time, even without thinking that help your females give birth, how you set their whelping boxes up, how you set up uh, where you want your babies to go, where you want them to poop, how you want to feed them, what schedule works, what doesn't. That only comes with time. And it's not something that we do very much at all. We'll get your puppies uh, well again. But for us, a good responsible person who's going to go into breeding will be very well prepared, will have already fed puppies, knows how to do these things. So when it's their turn, they're ready to go. The problem that we're finding though with COVID is person A and person B now discover that they can sell puppies on Kijiji for $3,000. And so everyone's breeding and nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. It is. And so you've got all these people who, you know, Pomeranian, Shih Tzus, anything that ends in an ooh that's small and furry will sell for $3,000 because people are desperate for puppies. You can't find them. The reputable breeders that I know are two and three years out booked now. And dogs that used to cost this much are now costing two times this much. And I have no issue with that because that's what the market will bear. And nobody gets rich breeding. And it's a ton of work. So I think breeders deserve every penny that they make. But I've heard so many more bad stories too, though. Like I paid $2,000 and the dog never came or I paid a thousand and now they want more money. And every scam you can think of is being done. When you're dealing with someone you can't drive over and visit, it's a problem. Find a dog in your area if you can. It's always going to be better. And the dog from Hungary, that's a fancy Hungarian breed or from Japan because it's an Akita or whatever, they're sending you their worst. Get one from here. One hundred percent. I don't. Dis- <laughs> I agree with you one hundred percent. It's not that Japanese Akitas aren't fantastic. They are, but they're not going to send you one of the fantastic ones. And so. when I, if I have a, how to wean a puppy, if I have got a question, I'm calling you. <laughs> well, thanks, Doctor Jory. I appreciate that. Okay, so before we end the show, we should talk about evacuation disaster and fire preparedness because you know you don't know when it's going to hit those people in uh, in Lillooet. Oh my gosh, they just had to get out of there fast. It is not good out here. We we had record highs and a train sparked and a town went down and people left with no shoes on their feet. So what can people do to keep their animals safe? 
I think if for anything like that, you want to have sort of the equivalent of a, what I call a bug out bag. If you, there's a possibility where you're going to have to go in a hurry. So you want to keep the essentials that you want ready at hand, all ready to go. And so food, keep their meds, copies of their vaccine records, water bottles, and a quick little thing. So if you've got to go, it's you wake up, grab the bag and go because you already know it's packed and prepared. And you want to check it with this. And I find you check your bug out bag with the season. So in the fall, open it up, make sure everything's, nothing's expired, everything's ready to go, put it away. It stays in the same spot. Everybody knows where it is. If you check it four times a year, then nothing will have expired. It, you always keep it at hand. You know it's fresh. So God forbid you actually have to use it. It's packed and ready to go. But not just for your pets, all your kids' health cards and medications and quick snacks that, are, that don't expire quickly and some bottles of water, passport copies, all those things go into your bug out bag. So you can have the family bug out bag and the pet bug out bag. So if you got to go, it's yup, you grab and you go. First aid kit, pet first aid kit, collapsible yep. bowls, blankets, a crate. Have kennels, have the, you know, when your puppy grows out of the kennel and you don't need it anymore, don't give it away, fold it up, use it for storage, right? Because yep. you need it when these situations, sometimes you'll get somewhere and dogs won't be welcome, but they will, if you've got a crate or there'll be some kind of rescue situation set up, your dog's going to be way happier in his own crate. So bring the crate. And you know, I still use crates. I don't put them away when the puppy grows out of it. I throw blankets in there and bones and toys. So they're always think of it as their hangout space. So if they ever have to be in one, it's not terrible. It's comforting. No, 100%. If you ever go to a friend's cottage, you take your crate with you, you go out on the boat, you know, your dog's completely happy in its own crate, not eating the sofa. <laughs> or running around trying to find you, getting lost exactly. somewhere, you know, or getting into some tick infested wood to touch base on our earlier show. But they're on prevention, so they're fine. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, what about, you know what? We didn't mention flea combs. I like flea combs. I think that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with the flea comb. I happen to be incredibly lazy and will probably never use it. So I like the effective, well-versed, safe products that we've got. So now I know that I don't have to. Because as I said, I'm a bit of a lazy person. What I like about the flea comb is the ability to just show the person, the person who says, my dog doesn't have fleas. And I go, flick, flick, flick. And I go, look at this. This is flea dirt. Oh, your dog has <laughs> fleas. Because it's so quick. Like, that's how easy, right? If you, it if is. You use the flea comb costs about a dollar. It's about two inches long and it's plastic. And you run it along your dog or cat. And then you look at what came out of it, which will be some hair and some undercoat. And if there's little flecks of black, that's flea poop. If there's little flecks of white, that's also indicating you've got fleas. So if you see poppy seeds and sesame seed type thing in there, in with the fur, just treat your cat or dog. Don't deny it. Just treat it and you get rid of it. And then you can say, my dog does not have fleas and be truthful about it. There you go. If you've got itchy ankles, itchy wrists, your dog has fleas. Okay, everybody, enough with the fleas and the ticks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Dory. My pleasure. And I hope you'll come back in a few months. We can talk about winter things, perhaps. Sounds good to me. Okay. From Animal Party and me, Deb Wolf at Pet Life Radio, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.